We are finishing a series, and the series is called Face Your Fears. And we really felt, this is a big topic for me, I love talking about this in terms of um, what does it look like to live a really a fearless life, and is that even possible? And uh, so the idea of facing your fears and kind of working through, we felt like this was important uh, as people of God, as people who have been called and told by Scripture not to fear and to fear not. Um, we wanted to walk through this series of how we can identify things, how we can overcome things, and then today how we can really experience uh, the true idea of what fearlessness really means. And so we, uh, we have a theme verse for the whole series. So one of my life verses comes from 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7. It says, for God has not given us a, read it out loud, what's it say? Fear. A spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind of self-control. And so um, for us, we just, we just know that God is not the author of fear, and yet he has given us so many things, I feel like, to help us overcome fear. And for most of us, and I'll just say this for most of us in the room, uh, fear is a larger player in our life than we would probably care to admit. All right. And and that really a lot of the things and issues we deal with, uh, even in our culture today, our political culture, our social culture is all driven by fear, right? The news cycle itself, what is shared on your social media is, is really the majority of it is driven by fear. Fear, And so we've been talking a lot over the last couple of weeks about what it looks like and how it kind of plays itself out in our life. So I'm going to give you this quick illustration. For those who have been here the last couple of weeks, indulge me, kind of speak back, and I'll, I'll kind of give you a quick quiz, see if you've been listening. Um, and I'll help those who've never seen this before. I talked about kind of the passengers in a car as an idea of the voices of fear uh, inside of us. And so in the back seat, you can go ahead and put the list up. In the back seat, I have what I call the naysayer and the what if, or the naysayer and the worrier, right? And what does the naysayer say? Everybody say it out loud. Do you remember? Probably. That's right. The naysayer says probably. Yeah, the naysayer is always, that's probably not going to work. That's probably a bad idea. You know, that's probably definitely most probably going to happen, right? If you do that, if you try this, if you, if you, if you attempt this, uh, it's probably just not going to work out. Okay, that's the naysayer, and you, you know, in your mind. All right, you have the worrier, and I already said it. But what's what's the worrier say? What if? That's right. The worrier says, "Man, what if it doesn't work? What if I put myself out there and it's rejected? What if I say this and it's wrong? You know, what if I don't have enough to retire? What happens? What if I screw my kids up?" And the probably guy says, "You probably already did screw your kids up, right?" So you know, they work together, right? Those voices in your head, the what ifs. And then I talked about the, 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 the passenger who's, I call him the pop-up passenger, right? He's in the back seat, but he wants to be in the front seat. And this is the intrusive thoughts and feelings. And this is the whisper in your mind. This is the whisper in you that takes all the things you're feeling and wants to tell you how negative they are and how, how bad that actually is. It wants to introduce thoughts to you that are unwarranted, right? They're unwarranted. They're unwanted. You, didn't, you don't want to think about how the worst possible case scenario, but your mind just goes there. These are the intrusive thoughts and the intrusive feelings that really just kind of connect to your heart and make you feel like that fear is validated. It makes you feel like that fear, that thing that they put in your mind is real. And then we have the front seat, and I call this kind of the navigator, you know, the front seat navigator. Uh, this is the false prophet of fear. And the false prophet of fear always wants to tell you that where you're going is what? Wrong, right? The worst possible way you could go. It it's paints every worst case scenario. If you go right here, you're definitely going to die. If you go left here, your children are going to die. You know, if, you, if you go straight, it's going to be the worst thing imaginable. 
And the false prophet says it in such definitive terms to you that it makes it feel like it's actually real. And then he wants to give you direction. He wants to kind of guide you and kind of help navigate your life. And then when fear is in the driver's seat, it doesn't look like fear. That's the, that's the hard part. When fear is actually in the driver's seat, fear, it looks like the self-assured person, right? It's the self-assured person because they're safe and they're in control. They're safe and they're in control. And I got news for you. It may not look like fear, but if your life has been reduced down to your goals, being, playing it safe and being in control of your life, then fear has won, okay? You, you, are, you are being driven by fear in your life. And no matter what these voices say, it's not as if you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to have them. These are the voices of fear, and they play itself out in the faces of fear like we talked about uh, in the first week. But when Jesus taught us and taught the disciples about fear, he gave us a contrast between fear, what, what he knew was happening inside of us, and faith. And to kind of bring us along, I gave you a simple definition that said our, our fear is always what could be, right? Nod your head if, you, if, you, if you've heard that before. Our fear is always in the what could be, in the what could happen, and the what's possible in terms of the negative, in terms of our future. But when Jesus taught faith, he always centered it in who he is, right? That faith was always driven by who he is. You know, we just sang a song about it. Not that you're not going to walk through the fire, but that he's going to be with you. The, our faith has never been outcome-driven, our faith is not driven in things are going to work out and things are going to be this way and things are going to be that way. Our faith is completely driven by who he is and that he is with us. And over the last two weeks, we've really kind of worked in this, in this area between the contrast between a life driven by fear and a life driven by faith. And so we've talked about how that kind of oscillates back and forth and some of the ways last week about the examples of what being driven by faith can look like in someone's life. But I'll tell you what I, I, would, I don't want to see happen. Let me just tell you what I don't want to see happen out of the, as an outcome of this series. What I don't want is for you to finish this series. You've been here all three weeks. You finish this series, and all you've learned to do is manage your fear just a little bit better, right? I mean, you've learned to identify it because I told you you can't, you can't change what you don't identify, You've learned to identify the voices and maybe how it's playing itself out in the faces of fear in your life, and maybe you, you, you surrender some of those things to God that have really been kind of, you know, kind of nagging at you, and you get to experience some small victories over the fear in your life, but that's it. That's all you get. That's what I don't want to see happen, because I don't really believe that's what God has called us to. I believe, this is me, I believe that there is such a thing as you and I being able to live a fearless life, okay? A fearless life, not in the absence of fear and not in the absence of the things that cause fear, but in an overwhelming victory that becomes consistent in your life, that it becomes the new normal for you to have fear but conquer fear, for you to hear the voices but be able to ignore the voices, to be able to be driven by faith and have that become the new normal of your life where you, there is nothing, no matter what the greatest fear you have, there is nothing that can cause you to fear when it comes to your faith in Jesus.
And that, that's the goal. And I really would hope that today, as we talk about kind of this ending idea today, that we're going to move to that place. This is, the, this is the target, the destination that I want you thinking in your mind. Not just managing it a little bit better. Not just identifying it. Not saying last week I gave you six things that, you know, were good examples that you just work on one of them. I'm talking about really living a fearless life driven by faith, okay? Now, in order to do that, we do have to really quickly walk through a little bit of a contradiction that it's really easy to see in Scripture, in the Scriptures that we've been given, to see the contradiction of sometimes how the single word fear is used, how it's used. Because we've read over the last two weeks, we've read all this Scripture, we've sang the songs, and we've, we've talked about the fact that, 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 that the Word of God tells us don't fear, right? Jesus said, do not fear, don't be afraid, fear not. And yet we are also told, we also have Scripture that maybe you heard as a kid or you've read recently that tells you, yeah, but it also says to fear God. Nod your head if you've heard those words before, right? To fear God. So what does that mean? I'll give you a quick example. This is from Deuteronomy. This is uh, part of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. This, is, this book, the Deuteronomy, is actually the explanation, if you will, or the description of God's law. Yeah, that's what Deuteronomy does. It describes and explains and defines for us God's law for his people. And here's, here's just one verse where it says, Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you, of his people? What does God require of you? Well, he requires only that you, read it out loud, fear the Lord your God, first and foremost, and live in a way that pleases him, and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. And just in case you were fuzzy on what required mean, it says you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. But this is what is required of you, to fear God, to fear the Lord your God. This is a command. This is a decree, not a suggestion. This is a command. So how does that work, right? How does that work? All of Scripture, fear not, don't be afraid. Just kidding, totally fear me. That's what I'm trying to say, right? Like, like it's, it can be, listen, if you're growing up, it can be sometimes a little confusing when it comes to that word and how we use that word all by itself. And so, in order to reconcile this, we have to do a little bit of a study in the language, okay? Now, this is, this is going to be real quick. If you want to nerd out on this, you feel free to go and nerd out. Take a picture of the screen, okay? I'm going to give you just a little taste, that tip of the iceberg, of the nuances of some of the language that we have to dive into to understand what it really, why, why is it different? Okay, so, there are about 10 nouns in the Hebrew language. There are about 10 nouns and eight verbs that are all translated to the word fear in the Scripture, okay? So 10 nouns, eight verbs, all translated into the word fear for us. Now, the problem with that is that Hebrew all by itself is a very visual language. Every single Hebrew word paints a picture and has a full, robust meaning, every single one of them. But they all have a root. They all have a root that they can draw back from. Now, I'm not going to give you the root, root, root. I'm going to give you like the three steps away root, okay, of the word fear when it comes to the word fear in terms of fear of God. And that is yira and yara, okay? 
terms of how, what it looks like as a noun and a verb. And when the word fear is, is really translated in terms of the fear of the Lord or to fear God, it's from this root. And the root of that word actually means to respect, have reverence for, or be in awe in recognition of power and position. So the root goes in all the, all the different ways in which really fear kind of plays itself out. And it's not that any different. Like, you know, we teach our children to not touch the hot stove burner, right? We're like, we try to teach our kids to not do that. Why? Because we want them to respect the fact that if they do that, it's got power and it will burn them, right? So that the root itself makes sense. But in this case, in this light, the way that it's written, it's this idea of respect and reverence and awe which promotes a response, because that's part of the way the words work, it promotes a response that we'll also see in Scripture of wonder, amazement, astonishment, gratitude, admiration, and worship. And we'll see all of those words used coming from this single root idea when it's being used in terms of the fear of God or the fear your Lord, fear the Lord your God. Now, I love this also. I, got, I pulled this for you from Unger's Bible Dictionary, and you can use any one you want. It'll tell you some different things about the root word. But this, I love this phrase, because it said this, this kind of fear, talking about the root fear of the word that's used in terms of fearing the Lord, has its spring in love, which means it springs from. The source of that fear actually comes from love and prompts to care not to offend God and then to endeavor in all things to please him. That's, what, that's the real kind of meat, if you will, around this kind of fear. Now, I want to give you a quick resource, and I'll, I'll just talk briefly about it. Um, all my book people in here are going to love this, but this is a book written by a pastor over in the Raleigh-Durham area named J.D. Greer, and I love this book. This book, I read it about a year ago, and it's just been one I've gone back to several times. It's called Not God Enough. Why Your Small God Leads to Big Problems. That's the subtitle of the book. What's phenomenal about this book is that he makes the argument that most of the problems with our faith, most of the issues we run into, have to do with our perspective of who God is. It has to do with how we see and how we understand God. And he talks a little bit about fear this way. He actually says it this way. He says, to fear God is to know him. And to know God is to fear him. That this yara, this, this yara, this, this idea of this root fear of reverence and respect and awe is that once you truly see God, once you truly understand God, you will fear him. You will have this response to him. And then to have this response to him is to actually understand and know him. Now, it doesn't always work that way for us. Now, how many, I did this in the first service. Let me just get a quick idea. How many of you were raised in church, okay? I didn't say you liked it, but you were there, right? Your grandparents took you there, your parents did. Okay, good, 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 for, good second service, all right. You were raised in church, and here's the problem. Your parents or your grandparents, somebody tried to instill in you what respect and reverence to God looked like, right? They tried to. They did the best they could, but usually it just had to do with external things, so there was a lot of shushing in church. You remember that? A lot of shushing, right? A lot of sit-up straights and a lot of don't act a fool, you know? And here's why we kneel sometimes in liturgy, and here's why we stand up sometimes in liturgy, right? 
And, some, and they were trying their very best. It's not bad. They're just trying their very best to help you understand the response, right? The response that we had in this respect and this reverence and in this awe because of who God was. But for many, if anybody else was like me, we struggled to understand why they were monitoring our behavior when we really didn't have that perspective. Everybody with me? Like, I, we didn't have that perspective. And so we were getting modeled, you know, we were getting sort of monitored our behavior in terms of reverence and respect, but we didn't have the perspective to actually respond that way. And that's a big deal. That's part of the, the argument of this, of this book. The second thing, and I'll just do it really quickly and kind of goes into where we are today, is that his argument is that that's this, oftentimes, the perspective that we had of, of God, not being, you know, our God being too small, not being God enough, is that it really does affect our faith. And if you've ever had the conversation with people that have, you know, said, well, I've been praying about this, and they, they got all the good Christian lingo, and, you know, I've been praying about this, and I've been asking God about this, and I've been doing this, and you can tell that, you know, they just kind of gave up because for whatever reason, God didn't show up the way they expected, and God didn't do what they thought he was going to do, and and really, their faith failed. And the argument that J.D. Greer would make at this point is the fact that, well, listen, it really has a lot to do with your perspective in terms of even who you've put your faith in, because a lot of times, our faith is in a God that's really not God enough for our faith to be in, right? Our faith is a little bit too small. And so, when troubles rise, when issues come, when the voices of fear begin to have influence in your life and begin to try to drive your life when your faith doesn't have the right perspective, then all of this seems much bigger than God, right? So in this, in this light, you know, your idea is like, well, how can I, you know, I'm, Matt's talking about being driven by faith, but if your faith doesn't have the right perspective, then I'm telling you that whatever faith you think you have, that faith is going to fail. So the argument that we're making is that this fear of God, this fear we're supposed to have, really comes from a seeing God for who he is before we have to worry about the response that we come up. Tracy and I have this conversation a lot. This is my wife, Tracy, over here. Uh, we have this conversation a lot that, you know, we get very frustrated. She, she this is a bee in her bonnet, just to let you know. Um, in terms of the relaxed culture of today, you know, sort of the relaxed culture of God being your buddy and your pal and your bra and your, you know, and the big man upstairs, you know, and the OG, like, you know, it's just one of those, like, you know, these references and this kind of approach to God doesn't have the reverence and respect that it should. But the reason is, is because the perspective is not there. They don't really see God that way. And it's in the church as well. I'll give you a quick example. We read this a couple weeks ago when we, were, uh, when we were teaching, when we were talking about how Jesus taught this. Remember when Jesus was teaching them, and he not just teach them about fear, he'd take them on little field trips and little exercises, you know, and kind of like, kind of see it kind of work itself out, where he tells them to go across the lake, and, you know, the, the wind and the storm come up, and, and the disciples start to freak out, and Jesus is asleep on the boat, and they feel like they're going to die. They're freaking out so hard that they go, wake up, Jesus. And when they wake him up, and I know we read, we read this a couple weeks ago, but I want to read it again. They wake him up, and Jesus says, why are you afraid? You have so little faith? Then he got up, and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and suddenly there was a great calm. And the disciples were, what's the word out loud? Amazed. 
The disciples were amazed. Who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him? That word amazed, okay, when you go to the literal translation of what the word means, Young's little translation says it this way. The disciples, they feared a what? A great fear. That in that moment, we, we read the word amazed and we get it, but the reality is that word has a root in yera, which means they feared a great fear. In that moment, they saw Jesus for who he really was, right? In that moment. As a matter of fact, I wrote it down this way, that in that moment, their greater fear, their greater fear of Jesus conquered their lesser fear of death. Their greater fear of Jesus in that moment conquered their lesser fear of what could happen to them. Everybody say greater fear. Greater. One more time, say greater fear. If there's any two words I want you to remember today to take home with you and maybe remember in a couple days when everything's, you know, going crazy in your week and you're just back to normal, I want you to remember the words greater fear. Say greater fear. Because this is what we really do believe brings the perspective we need to have. With the perspective of who God is, we're going to have that year. We're going to have that fear of God. It's a greater fear than our lesser fears. And that greater fear that's birthed and springs out of love does so much for our faith, does so much to help us have a life driven by faith. I just, I want to highlight three things in some of the scripture that I allowed, I wanted to just kind of highlight today, but I want to highlight three ways in which this helps drive, uh, give us a life driven by faith in terms of that greater fear, that awe, that reverence, that respect that we have when we have the right perspective of God. First thing is it grants us wisdom. This fear, this greater fear, grants us wisdom. It says it this way in the Proverbs. Maybe you've heard this before. Instruct the wise, and they will be even wiser. Teach the righteous, and they will learn even more. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. It's where it starts. Maybe you've heard it this way. This is in the Psalms. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the source. It's the start, right? All those who, who practice it have a good understanding his praise endures forever. Why? Because when we have the right perspective, when this greater fear exists in us, when we see God and we know him for who he is, because to fear him is to know him, and to know him is to fear him, that greater fear, we get to experience wisdom because it is the foundation, it is the beginning of wisdom. We make over a thousand choices a day. I'm not talking micro choices. I'm talking about regular old decisions in our life. We're making a thousand choices a day. And if you don't think fear has a part in that, you're a fool. And if you don't think you need wisdom every day to help make the choices you need to make to live the way God's called you to live, you don't really understand God. That's why it's the beginning of wisdom. This greater fear gives us and grants us this wisdom to use. One of the things I struggle with in our culture is the fear-based decision-making that everybody is caught up in, right? We have, we have companies responding to the market out of fear. We have managers and bosses managing their people out of fear. We have leaders and entrepreneurs leading and, and growing things out of 
fear. We have relationships and marriages being navigated out and based on fear. We have parents trying to parent children based on fear, knowing that we need the wisdom to put all of the decisions we have in light, in perspective of who God actually is, is the only way that we begin to experience and practice the wisdom he's given us. I mean, you're telling me you're really going to be, you're really going to be overwhelmed by this decision for this, your kid in this class and this preschool and this thing. You're telling me you're going to let that, that anxiety and that fear overwhelm you? Well, that's because you don't have a greater fear. You're not living in that place of, of perspective of who God really is and who you really are in your life. This greater fear grants us wisdom. It is the beginning of wisdom for our lives to help us navigate, to help us make these choices, to help us not fall into the trap every day of making decisions based on fear. Second thing it does is it brings us blessing. It brings us blessings. Here's a, this is from the Psalms. How great is the goodness you've stored up for those who fear you. You lavish it on those who come to you for protection, blessing them before a watching world. That your goodness, remember we read that last week in Psalm 23, that you, you know, this fulfillment of life that, that he's promised his sheep, because he's the shepherd, and therefore he fulfills our lives. This goodness is lavished on us. It's a blessing. Keep going. This is again in the Psalms. It says, how joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow in his ways... And it says, they enjoy the fruit of their labor. How joyful and prosperous you will be. And it goes on to give some examples. In verse 4, it says, this is what the Lord's blessing is for those who fear him. This is what the Lord's blessing is for those who fear him. God wants to bless, but it comes from the perspective we have. And the reason I, I say blessing, you've heard me talk about blessings before at this church, where I talk about enough and plenty in terms of how it really looks worldwide in terms of provision. God providing all that we need. And that blessing comes because God really does want to bless us, but he can't bless you, hear me, he can't bless you when you are overly consumed and overwhelmed by the fear in your life. Because only those who have the perspective, who have the greater fear of God, understand stewardship. They understand who he is, and they understand everything they have in light of who he is. You think I'm gonna worry about my money? You think I'm going to worry about my money and my job and be overly concerned and filled with fear when I know that God is the one who provides it all? You think I'm going to worry about my children when my children are only with me for a short while? I am a steward of my children. You think I'm going to worry and be filled with fear and anxiety in light of who he is, in light of whose hands my kids are really in? You think I'm going to worry about my future financial security? When I, when I have a God who provides all my needs, has done so from the beginning, and I know is faithful to do so to the end, do you really think I'm going to allow any moment of time to fill my heart with concern and worry and fear and dread when I have a greater fear of knowing where blessing really comes from? So he, he, he give, there's wisdom there. There's blessing there. But it also, this greater fear, holds us accountable. This is the one we struggle with. Holds us accountable. Uh, Paul says it this way to the church in Corinth. He says, we make it our goal to please him, to please God. 
whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us will receive what is due us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear God, to fear the Lord. We have to try to persuade others. Okay? This, is the, this is the understanding that we are accountable. I think you've, you've heard the story about when Jesus talked about the talents. And he had these three servants, and he gave us the three servants all a little different talent. And the one that had one went and buried his talent. And the master came home as a representation of God. The master came home and asked everybody to hold everybody in account for what they've been given. And the one said, well, I was really afraid because, you know, you're such a mean boss that I buried it. And if you don't remember, the master responded and said, I'm sorry, if you were actually afraid, you would have done something with it, right? If you would have had a greater fear, you would have really understood how accountable you were, you were going to be, you would have done something, even just put it in the bank, if you really understood how accountable you are. Because we are accountable for everything. We're accountable for every thought. We're accountable for every deed. We're accountable for every sarcastic remark we've made under our, our, under our, uh, you know, under our, uh, under our voices. We, we're responsible for every sarcastic thing we've tweeted and everything that we've responded to on Facebook. Now everybody's nervous. All right, we, we, listen, we're going to be held accountable for everything. And that can oftentimes motivate us in terms of behavior in the wrong way. That can motivate us out of an actual fear of being punished in the wrong way versus the fear that he's calling us to. We do all that we can to please him. We have a greater fear knowing that we are accountable. And because we know we're accountable, we fear God and we want to persuade others to help them understand that they're accountable and that they want to do all they can do to please God. Don't let it motivate you the wrong way. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to take that, that, that positive fear, that healthy, greater fear, and try to put a seed in there that says, well, you need to worry about that. You need to be fearful of that. You need to be nervous about that. You need to dread that. We don't dread that. We're accountable for the good and the bad. It holds us accountable. Paul also said it this way. He says, because we have these promises, we just sang about those this morning, because we have these promises from God, the grace and the love of God, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body and spirit. Let us work towards complete holiness because we fear God. And so scriptures you read that says we love him, why? Because he first loved us. We have been given his grace, we have been given his love, we have been given these promises, and because we fear God, because there is a greater fear, everybody say greater fear, because we have a greater fear, which is the perspective of who God is. We know we're accountable. We want to please him. We want to adjust our behavior. We want to line up our lives to be in line with him. To cleanse ourselves from everything that doesn't need to be there. So today, again last week, we, we just talked about what does it look like to be driven by faith. And I want to challenge you today as we finish this with just this single thought. What has the power? What has the power to conquer? Okay, to conquer. Not, not better manage, but to conquer the fear of, and I said blank because it's whatever it is for you, right? What, what, what is it? What has the power to conquer your anxiety? 
right? What has the power to conquer your fear of what your kids are going to enter into this world and whether or not they're going to be okay? Whatever your greatest fear is, what has the power to conquer your fear of your financial, your financial future? What has the power to conquer your fear of what's happening in our current world and our political cycle and our social environments? What has the power to conquer your fear of sickness and health that you can't control? What has the power to conquer your fear of death? And not just conquer the fear but also to give you life, as we talked about last week. That abundant life, that life to the full, that rich and satisfying life. What has the power to do all of that? To conquer those fears that you have and you've been dealing with your whole life, to really conquer them, to make it your new normal. Well, I'll give you an example. Another time when Jesus was teaching his disciples about this, You know, he needed to get pretty serious because he understood that the disciples were going to experience some things and witness some things that were going to cause them to fear. So Jesus goes on a teaching moment, and and uh, Matthew's gospel records this, and uh, Luke's gospel records this, and he's teaching them because he knows, listen, he he knew that the disciples were going to witness Jesus getting arrested. He knew that they they were going to witness Jesus being betrayed and falsely accused. He knew that they were going to witness Jesus being flogged and beaten to an inch of his life. And he knew that they were going to witness him crucified and killed by the very, very people who promised they would do it. He knew that. And so in order to help help his disciples, he starts teaching them once again about fear. Now, I highlighted some things that I want to make sure you see when when he gave this lesson, but this is in Matthew 8. Matthew 10, he says, look, I'm sending you, he's talking to the disciples, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts. Not that you might be. Everybody with me? He's telling them, you will be handed over to the courts, and you will be flogged with whips in the synagogues. This is before it happened to Jesus, he's just letting them know. You will stand trial. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are simply my followers. But don't worry, this is, this is going to be an opportunity to tell the rulers and other believers about me. And then he goes on and says, when you are arrested, which I don't like that one, how about if, Jesus? Did you mean if? Right? I can see the disciples asking that. Did he say if? No, he said when. When you are arrested, look, don't worry about how to respond or what to say because God's going to give you the right words at the right time. And then he goes on to encourage him and says, this is not, uh, this is, uh, for this is not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. And he goes on to give a, little, a couple more just examples of why they really don't need to be afraid. Why they, even though he just said all these things with such certainty about their future, plenty of things for them to be upset and fearful of. He ends it this way. I'm going to read Luke's uh, recording of this because I like the way it's stated, like a little more succinct in two verses. He tells them, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that. Okay, Jesus, that's enough to be afraid of. Okay, 
What kind of word is that? You know, what kind of, what kind of, this is not a Hallmark card, you know? Don't worry about the cancer that's going to kill your body. That's all it can do, right? Don't worry about the people that hate you and want to see you die. Don't worry about, don't worry about the people who want to do that. Hey, that's all they're capable of doing. And then he says this, but I'll tell you whom to fear. Read it out loud. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and throw you into hell. Yeah, he's the one to fear. Now, as inspiring as those words are, I don't know how inspired the disciples were. When I read it, I'm not encouraged. And yet what Jesus is saying is he's saying there is a greater fear. Everybody say greater fear. There is a greater fear. And regardless of the way you like Jesus saying those things and not saying those things, he was letting them know very clearly that there's some things that are going to happen to you and there's, and there's the real possibility of death in your life. You're going to die anyway, but I'm letting you know how some things are going to go. But I'm telling you there's a greater fear. There's a greater fear. There is someone who holds the keys to death and hell in his hands. Like there's, don't worry about this fear, this man-sized fear. There's a greater fear. If you're going to fear anyone, fear God. That yira. Have that respect and that response and that, and that reverence for him who holds the power of all of it in his hands. What has the power to conquer your greatest fear? What has the power to conquer your fear of death? What has the power to conquer your fear of illness? What has the power of conquer, the power to conquer your fear of job security, financial futures, your relationship, your marriage, your kids? Whatever your greatest fear is, what has the power to conquer that fear and to exchange for you a life to the full, a rich and satisfying life in him, one that starts with wisdom, is blessed, his provision, his fulfillment, his peace, his grace, his power, his protection. Who's going to give you all of that in addition to conquering your fear? It's only a greater fear in Jesus. Only a greater fear, a proper perspective in Jesus of who God really is. Will you be able to respond in that way? To know God, to, sorry, to fear God is to know Him. And to know Him is to fear Him, that greater fear. And all I can tell you is that it worked. It worked. Hear me, it worked. Jesus was crucified, buried, rose again, gathered all his freaked out, scared disciples together, and then sent them out to change the world. And they changed the world. Why? Because they didn't fear death anymore. Everybody with me? What are you going to do with somebody who doesn't fear death? Paul says to live is Christ. Well, we'll kill you then. To die is gain. 
What do you do to that guy? Nothing. Nothing can be done. Who has the power to conquer that fear? Well, it was their greater fear. It was, it was seeing God for who he really is. It was seeing their resurrected Savior. And they no longer feared death. I'm telling you, it worked. That greater fear works. Because to know him is to fear him. Not in the way we've been talking about in terms of the way we would just use that word so quickly, but to have that response of awe and amazement and reverence and respect and worship and gratitude and stewardship. It requires a greater fear. It requires us to be able to hear the words of Jesus and not be so discouraged, but to understand that Jesus had a point. And not only did he have a point, but it, it's shown. Just read the book of Acts. It's seen as a testimony of the work of the early church, that there is a power to conquer your greatest fear and to give you the life, a rich and satisfying life, life to the full. It's only a greater fear in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for the way your word challenges us because, God, I will say that sometimes when we have just one word to kind of work through, we don't usually take the time. We don't usually take and spend the effort to really work through the nuances of what can get lost in translation. So God, thank you for your word and the way it does tell us that this greater fear in you and of you really does bring us hope. It really is birthed from love. That this perfect love casts out the fear, our man-sized fear, our lesser fear. God, I'm praying for everybody in the room that they would begin to really do business with what their greatest fear is. And then to ask themselves, does a greater fear exist to help them conquer this lesser fear? God, it's only in our perspective of you. It's only in the right perspective of you that our faith in you will help us overcome our lesser fears. And Jesus, it's by your power, by your Holy Spirit at work within us, it's by your grace that everyone here, everyone here and listening later can experience that life, that life to the full and conquer those fears. Jesus, we pray all this in your holy name. Amen.